Welcome back to the Has Been Hoops podcast. Were though we didn't get it done in person <laughs> as we thought, as I thought, but uh, we've just come off the back of a pretty big Bucks weekend for you, mate. Um, I'm assuming you had a good time. I had a great time, but everyone realised I had a great time. No, it was a good weekend. Um, it was just a lot of fun, and um, we uh, capped off by watching uh, my partner's team, Dana, get a good win at Windy Hill, an unexpected win, to say the least, uh, uh, and a, a Caulfield Quaddy for, for you and myself and uh, my mate, Dimo, which was also very, very nice. We did get the Quaddy and Kendall salty about that already. Um, so he's a little bit salty, Kendall. He, he doesn't he like our podcast, does he? No, we, we've committed to calling Kendall salty every podcast for a little while. And no, we, we got 55% of the $9,000 quaddy. So that worked out well for us. And uh, he even put the money in the accounts today. So that's just an absolute bonus. But no, we had a great time. And uh, tell you what, I, I must admit, um, we were joking around on the way to the AFL women's game thinking, you know, West Coast have been struggling this year. They're playing... Essendon out at Windy Hill. It's freezing cold. It's raining. We're going to double the crowd. There might have been 3,000, 4,000 people at Windy Hill watching the game. It was, got to credit it, that's as good a, an AFL women's game as I've seen as a contest, you know, given the conditions. But, uh, yeah, massive when they celebrated like it was important too, mate. Uh, yeah, no, it was nice. And it was uh, pretty funny uh, for a few of the people that, uh, sent me pictures going, is that your group that they're celebrating with? Absolutely it was. <laughs> Absolutely. So very happy for the girls. Great turnout at Windy Hill uh, for, for women's football. And uh, for us, for you and I, Chris, a much better result than what we saw in the Gold Coast at round two. Let, let's, so. let's, let's not go there. But the thing we did do earlier, let's go here. We, before we went to that game, we <clears> went and saw United play New Zealand. And it's always a different thing uh, when you see a team in person. And before I get into my thoughts, you, know, you sat in the Legends box uh, courtside at the United game and they've always been great at letting our sex players sit in the box. What did you think of the game? Oh, i got, I got a few points. Firstly, thanks to Melbourne United for, for uh, allowing me and my mates and family to sit in the box. Uh, it was always really nice to come back to John Kane Arena and seeing some old familiar faces Um not only on the United bench, but also in the crowd. Uh, my overwhelming, well, my two takes from it is, one, I love Melbourne United's depth. Uh, they didn't have Matthew Delvadova and were still able to go along, get the, uh, get the job done uh, and, and had contributions across the board. My second point that I took away from it is, I think New Zealand's the real deal. Um, obviously, their first game back after playing the NBL, NBA games, they hadn't been back to New Zealand yet. They came straight to Melbourne. They bunkered down. Typically, when teams come back, it doesn't go well for them. And they had every opportunity to fold up early in the first half, but found a way to get going in the, the second quarter, 
find themselves up by a point at halftime, really in the game, and probably the fresher legs of United just ran over him in the end. But I really like Modi Mayor as a coach. I really like their guard in uh, uh, Jackson Cartwright. Uh, there was just a lot to like about that New Zealand team that also struggled with... Uh, um, Will McDowell-White not having his best shooting night, but Cheatham is absolutely the real deal as well. I I went a little bit the other way where I, I, I do. I love United's depth. I think in a game like that, I, I just never felt that even though they led by a couple of points a couple of times that United were going to lose. And you, you looked at some of the lineups that they had on even early in the fourth quarter, and you think with all of the talent they've got, you know, that they had, you know, Kyle Bowen on, you know, with, with other guys right down the end of the bench, I'm thinking what a luxury or what confidence that, uh, that Dean Vickerman has in that group uh, to have the opportunity to play that many plays. So I, I just felt that United never really seemed threatened. Um, yeah, Cartwright Jackson, Jackson, Jackson Cartwright, Cartwright Jackson, what, what are we doing here? Um, I was absolutely blown away by how little he is. And the, the one thing that stood out when I watched him play is well, I had two thoughts about New Zealand. My first, when it really comes down to it, I don't trust his three-point shot and he doesn't get much zip on his passes. And the longer defenders of United, he got into his mid-range jump shot a few times against some of the second-string players for United, but... And he had a good game on the you know on the stat sheet, but I, I feel like he'll be a reasonably easy scout when playoffs come along. And you know, you can't teach height, he's not going to get taller, he's extraordinarily talented and has great touch. But but seeing how much he, he the pressure that size and strength put on him, uh, you know, he he was able to score quite easily against some of the second tier United guys. The, the second part with the breakers that concerns me, I, 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 geez, they turned down a lot of uncontested threes. I'm not sure they've got their knockdown three-point shooter that they need yet. Um, you mentioned McDowell White not having a great shooting night. Geez, he was wide open on a couple that I thought he should have shot. Um, would have loved to have seen him let it fly. So I'm still a bit of a watch this space with New Zealand. I take on, take on board the fact they came back from the United States and the jet lag and all that kind of thing. But... I walked away a little bit different. Are you thinking, I, I'm not sure that I've got them as a championship contender. I think they'll probably find their way into the semifinals, at least the plane, but I don't have them that high. I've um, got them top four. Top four be, right now. That'd be the semifinals. Mm. Um, JLA and Huck Porty, that's going to be a, a, something to deal with. Um, and in two very different ways, JLA's shot making in his touch. Um and and still length on the defensive end, on the defensive end, but Huck Porty you know, continues to be impressive. It was interesting in just his second game back. Dean Vickerman went with uh, JLA down the stretch. Uh, I wonder what if he's already landed on that. I wonder if he'll be flexible in whoever's playing better or whatever he needs game to game. They'll finish the game with. But the biggest thing for me, and I, I found myself watching the end of the game behind at, at the baseline and. I was just chuckling and smiling. It's whatever any whatever United do with their rosters, whatever they do with next stars, whatever they do with their depth of talent, whether they bring Dally in, whether or not, whatever they do, 
Melbourne United is still Chris Golding's team. And geez, he sacrificed a lot of his scoring opportunities <coughs> to help Melbourne United be successful over the last few years. And when it really mattered, <laughs> his shot making in that fourth quarter, I mean, there aren't many people. There's certainly not many in this league. There's not that many in the world outside the NBA that can shot make like Chris Golding and you know, hit the insane corner three, the contested three on the wing. Yeah, it was just a lot of fun to watch him get rolling and put that game out of hand. I think uh, the addition of Ian Clark makes United that much much more difficult to defend because now you've got two knockdown shooters. Had New Zealand have those knockdown shooters, I felt like you talked about Will McDowell-White turning down shots. I thought Lamb missed a couple of wide open ones to start with as well. Uh, that was the difference for me of having two knockdown perimeter shooters on the court at all times. Um, and I agree with what you're saying about Chris Golding's sacrifice and how he's been the last couple of years. Um, I just feel like having someone like Ian Clark gives him a bit more space uh, than he's had in previous years, uh, which is fun to watch as well. Staying at the top of the ladder, we, we spoke to a couple of NBL coaches from various positions in the staff, and yeah, we're three or four weeks into the season now, and we're starting to get a look at everyone. And yeah, you chat and you say, what, yeah, what stood out? And each one of them on present form thought that Melbourne United and the Tasmania Jack Jumpers were the top two teams in the league. And just saying that, and, you know, we've always thought that the Tasmania Jack Jumpers have overachieved, they've outperformed, but now you look at what they've done and they've got guys who can go and get a bucket, they've got length, they've got athleticism, they've still got that same culture and drive. Their, their defensive identity is really identifiable. And every year Scott Roth's in charge, they get more and more comfortable in their system. They've just been really impressive. Um, and, and I don't disagree. It's, it sounds weird with all of the, the teams that have traditionally been great. And it's, it's an easy thing to put into the top four. For me, I agree. I think the Jack Jumpers are a top two or three team in this league without the need to overachieve. Yeah, no, they've been great. Um... Good wins in Melbourne, good win in Sydney, probably the other two that are in their top three. Um, unlucky not to get a victory in round one versus Perth on the road. Um, Southeast Melbourne, probably a bit of an anomaly when we look at it the whole season, uh, so to speak. Uh, but their little point guard, Crawford, he got it done as well. I don't think there'll be much difference between Crawford and uh, Jackson Cartwright. Or is it Cartwright-Jackson? We're doing Jackson Cartwright, right? Yeah. Yep. Um, he was super impressive. Fourth quarter, knocked down shots, made plays. Uh, he, compared to what they've had in years gone past, not only can he set the table for his team, but he can get a bucket when his team needs it as well. And Crawford was really impressive. Uh, I, I watched the replay yesterday of that game and just, I loved it. They they went at Sydney early. They got Sydney into foul trouble, started the game. They continued to put pressure on the rim. 
the commentators were talking about can they keep playing at that speed. I think the Jackies can play at a fast speed when they need to. And they've got people that make make buckets with the only one being really uh, Lee in the starting lineup that is a non-scoring threat. Would but he probably had his... perfect complementary player for that group. Absolutely it does. So we've talked about it before. We'll say it again. Scott Roth is doing a hell of a job down in Tasmania. He's built that identity. Um, and a couple of teams probably in the lower end of the ladder could have a good hard look at the identity of what the Jack Jumpers are doing on lesser talent, uh, but getting way better results. Okay, so it's Perth and Adelaide you're talking to. Um, and probably the interesting one and the biggest, uh, yeah, they're both big talking points, but historically Perth, you know, the conversation for so many years, the 30 years without missing a playoff, the toughness, how hard it is to win in Perth. What's gone wrong the last three years? Because I mean, they snuck into a, a playing game, and but this is three years in a row that I don't think anyone's feared Perth, whether it be on the road or at home. It's funny <clears throat> sitting courtside at a Wildcats game now, and I used to, and you would remember too the vial that used to be spat at you from the sideline, like you could not go anywhere in that side Perth Arena, Challenge Stadium back in the day without feeling a bit of pressure from the crowd. I don't hear it anymore. Like there, there's none of that. The The awe of playing in the, the so-called jungle has been lost to a degree. Um, but at the same time, I feel like everyone's holding their breath waiting for a letdown as well. Like we used to go to Perth and the crowd was anticipating when it was about to change or, you know, that they were just going to beat a team. And the sense from the crowd now is at what stage are we going to let go of the reins in this game? Like, and, and that's how it feels currently. Um, so so, so the, is, it, is it, I mean, they've changed that's, that. That that's one like that's one part of it. The other, the second part is the Wildcats and the New Zealand Breakers over that stretch in that period of a decade where it was pure dominance by those two clubs. They had a roster that had a good core group of Australians uh, that was complemented by good imports. We've seen a fair bit of turnover in Perth over the last three years of their playing group and, and who's been in and out. I think the biggest thing that they've missed over the last three years is a defensive identity. Um, How long has where, Martin been retired for? Uh, a bit more than three years, but uh, they, they just don't have any defensive bite currently. And I think that is the biggest issue that I see with the Perth Wildcats. Is that recruitment? Is it coaching? Is it what is it? Well, they came out and said that Jordan Usher was going to be Defensive Player of the Year. I can't say that I've seen a game where I've gone, shit, he's good defensively. Like he's made a difference. Just hasn't happened. Uh, probably Sars been their closest to one of their best defenders because he's got actual rim protection um, and makes people change their shots. But you're not getting much defense from the Webster brothers. Um, 
I think Bryce was a really good complementary defensive player that played off Damian Martin, but I don't see him getting in the lanes as much as what he used to. Um, and even if you were to watch a game, uh, and I know Gorge was huge on this one, it was the defense starts with the point guard and the pickup points. You look at Tasmania, you look at uh, Sydney, you look at Melbourne, their pickup points is immediate. As soon as the ball goes in, people are onto it. If you watch a Perth game, the pickup points are past half court, um, where they're trying to play a style of keeping people in front. However, they're not keeping anyone in front. So no, they, they don't have pressure up the court and they don't have people uh, making it difficult for driving lanes and all that because everyone's doing the old Spanish uh, bull defence and Ole comes out and next thing you know, someone's on the rim uh, in the first 10 seconds of an offence. Adelaide may have allowed themselves to catch a breath by defeating Perth, but they were really, really average against the Phoenix. And, you know, if that had been an easy loss to the Wildcats, there were going to be some questions asked. They brought DJ Vazilyevic in, of course. Uh, they found a way to win. So I guess having said that, they've, they've been as equally unimpressive as the Wildcats so far, even taking that win in order. Yeah. Um, it was interesting during the week, I heard a radio interview with uh, Jason Kiddie and SCN after uh, DJ's first game. And uh, there was Kiddie, there was Mitch McCarron, um, I think there was Isaac Humphreys, and there was DJ in the locker room. And apparently DJ said, Let's catch up at 10.30 tomorrow to figure our shit out and see what we can do. So good that there's a different voice in the locker room already that is different, that understands winning. Um, I'm still not convinced on the makeup of Adelaide. Uh, Jacob Wiley, uh, full of energy, but you're probably needing something more out of that four spot currently. And we keep harping on how important the power forward role is or the four-man role is in in the NBL currently uh, they're not getting enough out of him plenty of energy great guy just not getting it done and um, yeah the, I, I just don't understand the makeup of their team and especially their, their bench and when I say bench um, I don't understand how he could let go let uh, lucky Albrook go to Illawarra as an Adelaide product um, and bring in Terry Smith-Milner uh, sort of sums up where Adelaide's at currently. Well, the last team, I should Illawarra, I mean, as bad as those two teams are going, they sit above Illawarra. Um, do Illawarra need to be evaluated as harshly as what the big market teams do? Um, does Jacob Jacomas need to be evaluated as harshly as what CJ Bruton and John Rilly are being evaluated at the moment? Um, how, how much longer do they get? Because, like I said, as bad as they're going, Illawarra have won one, and you talk about a team that's lost a defensive identity. And, uh, yeah, when Gorge was there, he worked under Gorge for a long time. He knows, he knows the answers, but knowing him and being able to deliver him oftentimes are two very different things. 
Yeah, they've definitely slipped under the radar. And um, Jake, someone that I've known for a very long time, and I was so happy when he got appointed the job at Illawarra, uh, probably has been uh, left alone for the most part. Uh, once again, roster build is confusing for me. They've got a plethora of point guards and they've got a plethora of three men. Um, and they don't have much depth in the fourth spot. Uh, the other thing is, I think it's hard, and maybe I think you agree with me on, on this, that as a player, you like to build into a game and find your rhythm. Uh, you don't necessarily have to shoot every minute to find your rhythm, but playing the game up and down, getting, getting that eight to 10 minutes on the court, you can really find the groove of the game. It's really hard when coaches are now going to these short playing minutes, uh, trying to get 12 guys into a rotation and you play your three minutes and then you're off again and someone else comes in and plays three. There's no continuity there for you as a player to go, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm on tonight or I'm figuring out the defense of where I'm going to be able to get my, my scores or get someone into a scoring position if I do this. It makes it really hard. So I'd like Jake to shorten his rotation, put more trust. You've got three good imports there, I believe. I think you've found something with Dan Greeter. I think you've got uh, Sam Froling there. Shorten your rotation maybe to an eight-man rotation and, and go with that instead of trying to get everyone minutes. I agree 100%. Um, it takes you a minute or two of getting into the game every time to see how, what the defence is actually doing. Figure out what your counters are. Figure out how to take advantage. By the time you figure that out, you're off again. Um, no, I agree entirely. And for all the strength and conditioning and high-performance people out there, if your job is to get them to be able to perform at a high level for 40 minutes. It, it's not to be able to have them perform. I mean, if a game was 60 minutes, I bet that same coach could get them to perform for 40. They just see It seems to be a scary thing to play an entire game however long the length of game is. And that's that, that's always confused me. That uh, And, and it's, it's crazy because you want your best guys on the court as much as possible. Like a, a tired player or a tiring player is still going to be better than someone that might be your 10th guy you who's got fresh legs. Out. You can still Correct. use timeouts. Timeouts, understand how to play in those situations. Um, I think... It, it doesn't matter who starts the game. It matters who finishes in the game. If you can find some sort of rest without going over the top, playing your your high usage guys and your better players for more minutes. I, I, I'm, I'm, we're saying this about Illawarra, but that could go to any team currently. Like, I just feel like there's an overusage of subs currently. Yeah, we'll wrap this one up. I think we'd be negligent not to ask. I, I don't think either of those three. I actually think all those three coaches will see the season out. Uh, it may have been a tougher decision for ownership and management if Trevor Gleeson was available to coach. Clearly, he's not with his Toronto, uh, not being with the Raptors. He can't coach this year. I don't think George wants to coach, and I don't think Adelaide or Perth would be his preference. I'm not sure he'd go back to Illawarra with Jake being there. So given those two guys are unavailable, you know, I think the conversation would have been tougher if, either or both were, but do you see either of those three not lasting out the season? 
yeah, I, I just don't see who steps into the role. Um, so it'd be interesting to see. Uh, we've seen stranger things happen in the NBL, but this early into the season, I, I can't see it. I know from a West Australian point of view, there is so much hatred towards JR right now and um, the same vile spew that I see on social media. It would be good if the fans would actually turn that on the opposition team when they're here instead of their own. It's um, No, you, you, I agree that there's been a lot. But, mate, uh, speaking of getting cut, um, we'll transition across to the NBA as we record this. It starts tomorrow. Um, as always happens in the days leading up to game one, uh, the rosters are narrowed down to 15. We saw three Aussies out of our 11 over their cuts, so Duop Reith was, was cut by the Portland Trail Blazers only to then re-sign on a two-way contract. Uh, Xavier Cooks was cut from the Washington Wizards and Jack White was cut from the OK City Thunder. Before, I'll, I'll go first on this one, and we I've had, I've had the discussion a few times today. It's... It's such a wonderful story and to, to make and to play a game in the NBA, I think, shows that you're a fantastic basketball player. I think you must be going pretty well. Um, I realise how wanky that sounds as I said it. Um, but <laughs> the, At least you recognised. The, the, the thing, I think the thing is, and even especially in your mid-20s and, and, and maybe even to get drafted, to stick around in the NBA. So those three guys got signed for a close-up look, a first-hand look, and they were cheap. It didn't cost the NBA much. It was a zero-risk choice for the club. It was an incredible opportunity for each three of those players. Now, the the one thing that they've got in common, or two things, they're all mid to late 20s. So Jack's 26, Duop's 27, and uh, Xavier's, uh, I think Xavier's 28. Um <laughs> They're all exceptional basketball players who do everything really well. None of those three players do one thing better than 99% of pro basketball players. They don't have that one thing that the club is looking for, and especially when you hit your mid-20s. And I mean, I mean, looking back, the reason I got drafted was I ran better than anyone my size, and they took a chance on me because of that. There are those three guys don't have the one thing, so I hope they all end up getting there two ways. I hope they get an opportunity, but they've had a first-hand look now, especially with Jack, uh, who's been in the system or around the system for a long time. My, my two thoughts are: my my strongest one is I hope they pick up another contract, and it's likely or it's possible that they do. The second part, and I wonder if the NBL has given it any consideration that they're no longer able to play in the NBL unless a team cuts somebody. I'd love to see an ability for whether it be a draft, whether it be a, 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 an outside of salary cap, whatever it might be, a luxury tax situation, but there to be a conversation that if there's an Australian in the NBA and he's cut and wants to come home, we find a way to let him. Again, I don't know what the answer is, but... It'd be sad to me if Xavier Cooks, Jack White, and Duop Reith ended up having to go to Europe or Asia instead of coming home. Yeah, uh, I think it's the first time that the NBL has been put in this position where we've had multiple Australians cut. Um, obviously, Adelaide made room, well, had the space there for DJ to sign. 
um, because I'd cut their import in the preseason. But if I was any of the NBL teams, uh, we know Duop staying in Portland on the two-way. But if you're any other NBL team and you need to shore up your four-man position, I'd be making a cut. <laughs> and just sure. business, just business-wise, I'd be making a cut to but make that but, happen. But it's also got to be an expensive cut. You can't it, just it would, a, because they're they're going to demand money coming in. So. If you look at the current roster... Okay, so let, let's do this. Who would you cut from Perth to bring in Xavier Cooks or Jack White? Tough yeah. call, but you'd probably cut Jesse Wagstaff right now. Plus another $100,000. <laughs> this is my point. You need more. Yeah, I know. And I don't say that in a disrespectful way to no. Jesse whatsoever, but in that position and what they've got, um, any team would, would love to be able to bring either Xavier or Jack White into the fold. And it's interesting um, because it, and we're, it's a little bit of a – the NBL Players Association or the, has done such a good job protecting the players. It's a hard thing to do. It's going to cost the club a lot of money. Yeah. First time we've done this, and then there are people I know who listen to this who are smarter than us. If you've actually got an idea, tell us. I'd love to pick this conversation up on social media. So yeah. find us on Twitter – Find us on Instagram. Uh, let us know what you think because we'd love to pick up this conversation in a week when we've got a clear idea of what those boys are doing and maybe even what the NBL teams are doing. So we'd love to pick that one up. Um, mate, we mentioned the NBA season st- about to start. A, a couple of really generic ones for you. I've, I've written down in my notes here who out of all the teams, and we won't dig in. There are other podcasts who dig into every single team, and we'll get to that through the season. But the simple question to start, who who are you most looking forward to, whether a player, whether a team, whether it's storyline? What are you looking for as this season starts? What are you looking forward to watching? Um, very biased, but okay, see. Just <laughs> watching... Watching, watching them will be a lot of fun. Um, and it's uh, just going through social media this morning. Um, they had the OKC starting five in, a, in, a, in an interview. And they said, what makes this team so special? And both Shay and Chet both said, Josh Giddy, <laughs> basically. Really? Yeah, this, he's the guy that makes us look really, really good. Um, and I love that. For Josh, um, and obviously his passing ability and the way that his game's going is unreal. Uh, so I'm looking forward to watching OKC and what they're able to do this year, um, purely because they've got a young team that is motivated. They get along what, what on the surface level looks like. They get along really well. You never know what happens behind closed doors, but looks like they get along well when they could be the team that takes the biggest leap this year. I tend to agree. I mean, it, it's hard to have this conversation without being fascinated to see what Victor Wembanyama and the San Antonio Spurs do. I've, I've got no idea. I mean, I, I don't think we've ever had a player like him to draw a reasonable conclusion and say, we're pretty certain it'll be this. I asked you during <coughs> the week and you said, no, I said, could, Vic, could, could Wembanyama win defensive player of the year? You're a pretty strong no. But I'll tell you what, 
if there's ever going to be a rookie win that award, no, to my, the best of my knowledge, it hasn't been done in the NBA yet. If it was, it was certainly before our time. He, geez, he, he's active, he's long, he reads the game so different. And I haven't seen so many three-point shots blocked in a preseason because he can go after it's released. Yeah. So, I saw the photo of Wiggins getting right. blocked, which was un- unbelievable. And the, the reason I said no... And I was having, at the game on Sunday, I got to catch up with Sam Vecini, which was awesome to meet him in real life and have a, have a conversation. We were talking about the whole Rookie of the Year conversation. And the one thing that I just kept coming back to is that Chet has a lot of help that makes him look good and he won't have to do as much to look spectacular all the time. Whereas I feel like Scoot Henderson, Vic... Uh, have to carry a, a heavy load in both of those franchises. And at what stage does an 82-game season for an incoming rookie wear them down? Like Chet's already had one year in the system. He's put on a bit of bulk from his uh, rookie year, um, missed the whole season because of injury in a preseason game. I just feel like Vic will be a first-team all NBA defender, but he won't be defender of the year just because he'll probably miss 20-plus games by the end of the season. There's been a lot of... There's been so much talk this off-season about what the Boston Celtics have done. Bringing in Porzingis, getting rid of Smart, bringing in Drew Holiday. There's been talk about Milwaukee getting <coughs> Damian Lillard in. Uh, there's been talk of LeBron still playing, all of the teams that will challenge in, in the West where there could be potentially, you know, 11 doesn't go into eight. Um, has there been a story, though? Is there a team that you see going, hang on, all this talk about how great they are, I don't see it. Or on the flip side, hang on, with all the talk of the teams I've just mentioned, how about that? T- I think they're going to be better and no one's talking about them yet. Is any... Have you had that thought yet? Well, I thought there'd be two teams that won't reach the same heights as last year. One being Philadelphia. Um, obviously, that's the disruption. That's got to be a no-brainer, doesn't it? That's, that's the disruption of Harden. I've, I've found it fascinating that Embiid's been as quiet as what he has been during this period because typically he's got something to say. Um so that was one. And the second one is the Knicks. Um, I feel like the Knicks caught a lot of people off guard last year. I don't see it happening again unless they make a trade to get Cap or Embiid uh, into... As, as, the, as we're on record months ago of predicting yep. this year, which yep. I, I stand by. Yeah. So unless they make that trade, I don't see the Knicks reaching the heights that they've reached previously. Another team I'm re- that I think I've got them making the playoffs, not the playing, maybe through the playing. Yeah. The Orlando Magic. They. Ooh, they that, that, there you go. There's something. They they, they finish. This is where we really need Sam Vecini. Their last fifty games last year, they went five hundred, mm-hmm. and they've had their injuries. You know, everyone's when when people talk about young teams, they talk about OKC as they should, and as we already have, Orlando have a really similar age profile. Uh, Paolo <coughs> Banchero is a star. Uh, we all saw Franz Wagner what he did at the World Cup. 
I like, and especially in an East where you look through it, as you said, maybe the Knicks aren't there. Do Cleveland, do they become a three or four seed again? Are Atlanta as good as what they think? There's a lot of beatable teams in the East on any given night. And I think Orlando sit there and thinking, hang on. No one's mentioned us. And, you know, I played with Jamal Mosley. I spent a little bit of time with him at last year's Summer League. He's a hell of a coach. And he's got buy-in from that group. And I just think they're ready to go. And I've, I've had a little bet. And I've, it's, it's, it's one of my early ones. I've absolutely got Orlando in that first round of the Eastern Conference Finals. There you go. Can I, can I ask you on your opinion on Houston? Because they seem to be a team that everyone said, well, with all their additions, uh, Ima Udoka as their new coach, they could find themselves in the play-in no. position. I don't see it. Not even close. Um, yeah, I, I think... I was really, really strong the minute it happened when the Boston Celtics traded Isaiah Thomas. I, I, and then they got Kyrie Irving. Granted, it was Kyrie Irving, but they got in return for someone who I thought had reached his absolute ceiling, something great in return. Um, you know, if if Isaiah Thomas was a stock, Boston sold it at, absolute, at, at its absolute peak. I see a bit of that with Fred Van Vliet. I'm not sure he's the superstar that everyone's made him out to be, the saviour, everyone. He's a very good player. But I think Toronto got off him at close to his peak and I'm still not convinced that he's as good as us. But you know what? I'm sure he's a great teammate, sure he's a good human. But to answer your question, no, I've got Houston rock solid in the bottom three. There we go. Mate, uh, that'll just about do it for this week. We're going to have so much to talk about next week with uh, another weekend of the NBL and we'll get a, a first-hand look at uh, the NBA as it tips off. Uh, one without notice, it's not on the run sheet before I go. We, you know, it's both of our teams, the Dallas Mavericks. If you had to throw it, if you had to pick a finishing posi- position, um, where do they end up this year? Do they find themselves in the playoffs or do they miss out again? Uh, tenth, mega. Yeah, uh, it's God with Luca, and I, I wonder when the conversation. We should have brought it up earlier. When the conversation around Luca goes, you know, you've got to keep Janus happy by bringing a star, and you've got to keep Embiid happy. You've got to keep. You've got to keep. No one's really mentioned Luca Doncic yet. This could be the season where he starts getting disgruntled. I, I just think there's a little bit of pressure on Dallas to make another move and make the playoffs. Otherwise. Uh, Luca might start getting itchy feet. But it'll be interesting to see. Mate, great job. It was a great weekend. We did this a day late because, let's be honest, we probably both needed that extra day. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. We will chat to you next week. Thanks, guys. Knock, knock.